Welcome to another episode of Burritos, Breaks, and Flies. In this episode, the prodigy and I sit down and we talk about how to read water. And this will be somewhat specific to our home waters in the eastern Sierra. So we got a couple bodies of water that we'll cover. And we'll touch a little bit on still water as well. And we'll also kind of try to touch on how to shift gears and read water when we're fishing pressured waters, which we all know we fish a lot of pressured waters. So hopefully this is a helpful tool to you. Um, We're going to speak from our experience. You know, we're probably not going to hit every single point, but this should be enough to get you on the water and maybe find some additional success out there. And once again, thank you to our sponsors, uh, Mystic Fly Rods, Adams Built, Monic Fly Line, Semper Fly Tying, and our newest sponsor, Myoderm which is a great CBD product. And we'll actually have a little section in here, kind of touch it on that. So you can learn a little bit more about it. We think it's a fantastic product uh, for the fly fishing world and outdoors in general. So we hope you enjoy that little piece. It's quite informational. And other than that, hey, I hope this is helpful out on the water and stay tuned for our episode on reading water. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome to another episode of Burritos, Breaks, and Flies. Today I'm joined by our co-host, Taylor, a.k.a. the prodigy slash T-Balls Brune. Welcome, buddy. <laughs> hey, Nico. How's it going? How's it going, pretty, everyone? Pretty outstanding. So, that we thought was pretty well relevant for this time of the year it's relevant for all seasons of the year but especially now and that is reading water and how to find fish in different kinds of water as it pertains to the seasons the conditions fishing pressure you name it and we'll talk rivers and we'll cover a little bit of still water too so and this will be pretty broad as far as it, it'll apply to m- most waters, but we'll be speaking from experience off of our time on all the waters in the Eastern Sierra. All right. So yeah. we spent a, yeah, we spent a lot of time on like the Truckee, Little Truckee, East Walker. I spent time on the West Walker, uh, Upper Owens. And there's a lot of similarities here, whether you got a, uh, you know, larger or medium-sized river like the Truckee or the smaller ones, you know, as you as you head south. Um, I don't know, maybe we'll even talk about the Carson. We don't fish that one that much. Yeah, I want to, though, the small one. Yeah. You know. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that, 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 bottoms, yeah, that bottom section's fun. And we yeah. could talk about that, too, you know. But uh, uh, whether we're talking trout or smallmouth, there's some similarities, that, similarities there in the water that they hold in and what they'll respond to. You know, maybe the smallies might be a little bit more aggressive, but, um, which is fun, especially in the dog days of summer, but you know, so let's, let's, let's start with the basics for those that 
maybe are struggling on reading water and finding fish, uh, we'll kind of start off with some of the basics. And we'll start with the basics, kind of how they pertain to all seasons on where to find trout, whether they be rainbow, cutthroats, browns. Um, there is some similarities to where they hold, and there's also uh, some different you know, nuances. Like, for example, browns will hold a little bit differently than, you know, than rainbows yeah. and cutthroats for the most part. You know, so there's, there's kind of two different places to look in the same body of water for those particular fish. And then sometimes it's identical. You just never know. Yeah. You know, sometimes it surprises you. You're like, wait a second. <laughs> what, what's that fish doing there? You know, so, so let's, let's start with some basics, right? So, uh, we'll, we'll paint a picture and I'll kind of let you take it from there, Taylor, because you're, right. uh, you're pretty damn good at reading water. So let's start, let's paint a picture, uh, a river section and, and we'll, common section where we have a really fast section of water maybe coming over some boulders boulder field or a shallow section um as it's ripping through there let's say it ripples out it'll pull out right might get a little bit of a deeper section and then rinse and repeat right so we're just going to work with a straight section right now and we'll come to the corners and stuff in a minute but that straight section and let's say it's a uh, you know, this time of year, we're early summer. Where would you start, Taylor? All right. So our run, we got everything from fast to fast and deep and slow and shallow, right, as it peters out toward the end. Yeah. And all the different stuff in between. Right. Early summer. Um Right now, it's a little bit tricky. The fish are kind of, you know, our water temps are really good. So the fish, they can kind of be everywhere. Like today was really warm. Yesterday was pretty warm. Um, you know, I've been finding fish, you know, in the past two weeks, mostly in the faster water. You know, the ripple sections um, right up near the tops of the pools, right where the water drops out of those ripples you know, dropping into that pool and right when you get that good, deep, steep drop, you know, that's where you're finding most of your fish, um, you know, just the bare necessities. Most of them are going to be right there. It's just perfect cover, perfect food opportunity. You know, that's, it's, it's the epitome of fly fishing, you know, like everyone looks at, you know, most people can that a fish for a year can look at that and say, there's something there, you know, it's, they're in that water. Right. Right. And then, and then what, what do you look for? So, okay, now, now we identified, okay, okay, right. We got our temperatures, you know, Hey, we got a good flow and we'll, we'll leave the flows open here. That's a whole different, it's a whole different discussion as far as how flows play into things. So let's just say we have optimal flow. So whatever that is for your body of water that you love to fish, right? So yeah, fish are comfortable with it. You're comfortable with it. Um, and you know, out like you say you like to fish that kind of you know that 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 transition from that fast water into that slow water um what's your searching pattern let's say we're going for rainbows and browns you know what are you starting with this time of the year in general yeah. i know it's kind of it's, <laughs> it's almost like a trick question you're like well dude really are you serious 
But you know, yeah, hey, look, you haven't hit yeah. you know you haven't hit the water maybe in months, you know, and you're like, well, what do I start with? Because that's confusing. You can open up that fly box and be like, dude, I, I don't know. And and I'll make it a little bit easier. It, right now, you just don't see anything coming off the water, right? You don't really see yeah. any bugs coming off, like, you know. So you know, risers or hit and miss, at least on the trucky, you know, the, right? On a walker, it's kind of been like that lately too. Right, so you're not you're not seeing okay, so you don't really see the bugs coming off per se. You might you might see a, a few here and there, but you're not seeing any feeding activity, you know, on or near the surface. Okay, so what's what's your go-to? My go-to searching is big and small. Uh, oh, okay. You know, uh, French fries and hamburger, you know, something big, um, you know, and by big, you know, I'm not talking, you know, a pike fly, <laughs> you know, like right. to anything with ought. You know, but you could definitely throw some big streamers and search. But my go-to is generally, you know, a size ten, size eight streamer or stonefly type pattern, uh-huh. as an anchor fly. Okay. Um, and then I like to go the complete opposite direction on my tag end, and I like to do, you know, anywhere from a fourteen to an eighteen. Um, yeah. Usually, what I found is flies like a Frenchie are great suggestive patterns. They kind of look like everything. Um, generally I start with like a black color, you know? Okay. Um, so, you know, do just do polar opposites. And if I have no idea what's going on, I haven't fished the river for a while. That's my go-to setup. Usually I do like a Frenchie or a midge type pattern, a blue wing olive pattern this time of year. It's off my tag end and work a run um from top to bottom until i figure out the conditions in the water where i'm getting the most bites and then from there as i search continuing runs i focus on that type of water where i already caught fish um and keep moving up yeah yeah and that that, i like that that (laughs) there's a key thing there is you said top to bottom and um i call it inside to out right so if i have if I'm working with somebody on the water, you know, whether it's a client or a friend, I tell them inside out, right? So what that means is that water, that fishable water closest to you, right? So, mm-hmm. so yep. So you fish, you start working that and then working your way out, right? And that, that's so we don't accidentally maybe line a spooky fish, you know, or upset a fish that's already been stung you know might be you know coming out from being stung is ready to eat again uh yeah so that that's a key thing right there too and sometimes you know when you're over there and you start inside out you might see that riser and you're like oh thank god i didn't cast all the way across and right and he's in the middle you know so right right and then you know and just minimize your uh you know your silhouette against that water uh there's a lot that goes into that Right. Yeah. Right. Right. If you can, you know, if not, you you know, if you can, if not, you're going to try to use some of the structure around you to to try to break up, um, you know, that you're there, uh, you know, minimize your contact with the water, um, as much as possible until you start working the outside. Right. So make sure you work Mm -hmm. that inside first before you start progressing in, because I see that a lot and we've seen that we saw recently, and we'll talk about that a little bit as far as a common mistake is people will see um, 
what they think is key water and they charge, you know, right at it. We'll, we'll, we'll cover that. So, yeah, so we got, we got that inside out and then, you know, work, you know, as long as uh, a good course of travel as you can. So, you know, you want to start your drift well in front of where you think that target fish is, you know, so you see that holding location where that fish may be. You don't want to drop your rig right on top of their head. You know, uh, you have a chance of spooking them, but more than likely you're just going to, it's not, they're not going to see it because you're going to drop it on top of them. And as it settles down, it's going to settle down behind their line of sight and just go behind them. Right. Mm -hmm. So you're like, oh, that fish is right there. And you have to remember our view into the water, into the water is completely skewed where we think they are. If you can see them, you know, it's not quite exactly where they are. You know, they may be deeper than they seem. Yeah, they may, yeah, they may be deeper than they seem. Yeah, and and they may not be exactly where you're at, so you gotta you gotta place it way out there. So that's that's key right there. So um, now scenario number two is that same water, uh, but you do see a you do see a hatch. How would you how would you rig up? And I'll give you a hatch, right? Let me give you a classic. Whether let's say you see you see PMDs coming off the water. And maybe some yellow sallies. What would what would your attack be there? So we're look, and, and if you're not 100 familiar with a PMD or a yellow sally, um, two different bugs, however, similar colors, right? We got those those tans, yellows, peach colors, stuff like that. What would what would you what would your approach be then? So usually, if I see a hatch, right, um, and I'm like, hey, that's probably what they're eating, right? Um, right. I'll I'll usually go um, double small then you know usually doing just nymphs um, but I like to go light and dark you know so I'll do um, you know like one of my really fun flies I enjoy tying because it's easy um, is like a peaches and cream um, I'll do a peaches and cream or a, a hare's ear you know those are great um, with a pheasant tail or like a Duracell fly. Mm. Um, you know, a, a light and dark. And then since they're already kind of coming off the water, um, I would shallow my rig up starting off first, you know, just in case those fish are kind of looking up for one, you know, in the truckie, it's, it's rare they look up, but, uh, you yeah. know, in waters like the Walker and stuff, especially, um, <clears throat> you know, I, I shallow, I'll start, I'll fish that run with it shallow first, you know, inside to out. And then if I don't get any bites, I'll fish that same water. I'll deepen my rig back down to the bottom. Um, what I estimate to be the bottom of that pool, um, you know, and then redo the grid one more time just to see if there's any guys hanging out down low. Right. Right. And then like one of my favorites would be, <clears throat> I would, I would carry that, you know, that, uh, that pupa pattern on the bottom. Mm. Right. And then on top, if I see anything popping off the water, but they're not hitting risers um, or, you know, surface bugs, I like to go like with a soft tackle um, on top of my top tag and then keep that, you know, that pupa or something cased on the bottom. And that seems to help out pretty, pretty well. And as I was talking about the soft tackle, Taylor's connection got completely cut 
So I was talking to myself for a second. (laughs) (laughs) Watching Taylor's frozen face. We usually do these together, but we're doing it remotely, even though we're both in the same town. So that was hilarious. Anyway, so let's go back to that. (laughs) I'm like, what happened? Oh, my God. Um, Anyway, so, yeah, I like to do, like, if I see some bugs coming off the water, right, and you could kind of pinpoint the bug. You know, let's say like my favorite, you know, PMDs, right, or BWOs. I'll put a soft tackle on the top that represents, you know, what's coming off the water, right? You know, either, you know, if it's same size or the size up or size down. As long as you have something in that target zone and then you have something um, in a little bit of earlier stage of development at the bottom, you know, where it's the same bug or something different. Because sometimes when you get you get a hatch, um that stuff coming off the water, there might be something else getting ready at the bottom to come up, you know. So I, l- I like matching it up with either like heck like we did on uh, East Walker last week. We had a PMD hatch. And I just matched it up, peaches cream on the bottom and a PMD soft hackle on the top and they're taking both, right? Um, but sometimes you get a mix hatch, you know, with different things. You may have active caddis, you know, and PMDs or BWOs or something coming off the water. So you just get close, right? You know, and and then all their feeding frenzy, you know, they'll they'll nail you, you know. So that's pretty that's pretty straightforward. Um, and there's other stuff too, you know, when they get sensitive, if if they're feeding in that slower water, or progresses, I love to go to, you know, twin soft tackles, uh, you know, with no indicator, you know, no weight, and you know, if I could see them tailing on the surface, you know, or uh, doing turns at the surface, you know, I know they're eating subsurface and I'll swing, you know, hackles that way. So it's just all kind of preference right there. But as long as you get something in that zone, you're, you're good to go. Right. So one thing that I think would be good to cover though, is that th- these are ideal conditions, right? Yeah. Uh, right. Like this is yeah, a laboratory, you know, so it's like, okay, all, all these approaches, Oh, this is great. But, what we really need to focus on in this area is that pressured water and how that changes everything. So same scenario, Taylor, where we're walking up to that water and, you know, we're not seeing any active feeding or whatever, but you see a lot of beat down shoreline or you're on a busy river, which all of our rivers out here are particularly busy, whether it's the East Walker, the truck away from the hole. Right. Yeah. Literally just watch somebody <laughs> walked away, you know, um, you know, so it, there might be a change of strategy there, you know, because what's going to happen is either those, those fish are going to button up, you know, or they've already been stung or what we found is, well, they're kind of like us. They don't, we don't like being around a lot of people and they probably don't want to be around a lot of other fish and people. So they'll move and they might move into some water that you may not think they'll be in. And Taylor always reminds me of this every time we go fishing together. And a classic example is we did a, a little recon tour, uh, for a few hours on the, um, on the East Walker. We'll leave, we'll, we'll leave. Yeah. Showing up late, fishing late, you know, and we'll leave, we'll leave the zone where we're fishing undisclosed. Um, but anyway, you, you were getting into fish in the opposite waters that I was fishing. 
I want you to talk about that a little bit as far as using the East Walker as an example, but it's, I think it's a great example for any, any Eastern Sierra river that you're fishing. You're going to find this identical situation. I, I know I find it a lot on the Truckee in the summer. Um, but yeah, I want you to kind of describe what, what your strategy is there after you kind of hit that common water. What do you do? I mean, my first strategy is to completely try to avoid the pressured water, right? That's, that's yeah. the best method. Um, yep. but you know, like a water, like the Walker, the East Walker, there's not a whole bunch of river to run to that's not pressured. Um, right. you know, so, you know, sometimes, you know, I'll fish some of those same spots like the, that glory, perfect glory hole right not the right. appropriate comments but <laughs> um but what i'll do is i'll actually drop my size down i'll get really small yeah um i'll start using some stuff i don't typically use um you know like really small stuff when you're like hey it's size 14 size 16 hatches going on i'll drop down really small like 18 or 20 um oh. because sometimes you know, those bigger, smarter fish, you know, that have seen a lot of people, um, they won't pass up that little tiny thing that doesn't have a lot of details because it's too hard to see the details for us. So it's hard to see the details for the fish too. Um, the other thing is the riffles, especially this time of year. Um, you know, the, the fast, super fast water that you're like, man, like I could barely stand in that. There's no way a fish could be swimming there. Yeah, it would surprise you, you know, just above or just below those, that perfect deep hole, the size of fish that you can see the bottom, but you can't see those kinds of fish, you know, like you'll, you'll throw it in there and you'll, <laughs> you'll be uh, looking at your phone or something being like, yeah, there's nothing that's going to happen. And then you look over and you'll see your indi indicator or, you know, your, the tip of your rod is bouncing already because you're not paying attention. And right. fish picked it up right in that super fast stuff, you know, and we're talking like a sprinting pace type water, you know, those fish will make themselves uncomfortable if it means they don't have to deal with the fishermen. Um, you know, so more importantly than just reading water to me, it's reading the outside of the water, that pressure, you know, the fishing pressure is, is 90% of the battle. If you go to a completely untouched water, you're going to have, you know, you could throw a booger on a hook and catch anything in that kind of water. But you have water like the East Walker, you got to you got to think outside the box. You know, any little drop off, you know, I mean, we're talking even a half a foot difference. Just a little different colored water in that fin section is enough yeah. for that fish to nose down and hold there without working too hard. You know, even yeah. from our view... You know, that water's moving fast on top. On the bottom, it's moving way slower. And those fish know all those little nooks and crannies. They can nose down and serve energy and wait until all the people leave and get back to their yummy food. Perfect hole. Right. Right. You got you kind of got a cool little name for that type of water we're talking about on that productive fast water. What was that name you gave it? Yeah. So I call it triangle water. So okay. you, you'll see there's a weird disturbance on top, right? Like you have normal riffles and stuff where the water is just bolting down, but you'll see in this particular water, a lot of people pass it up, but you'll see the water just, I mean, it points in like a, 
you know, perfect triangle for a good distance, you know, it just yeah. looks really kind of weird. It's like pointing to the sky. It's like pointing at you saying, Hey, hello, you know? Yeah. Uh, and the reason it does that is because there's such a discontinuity between the speed on top, which is moving super fast. And then right. the speed below is crawling. So that's the perfect water where those bigger fish like to hold because the water on top's moving fast. Fishermen pass it up. They see all the fishermen walking past them on the shore, but they still get that nice conveyor belt of food going over their heads. And they have a nice, not particularly safe spot because it's not as deep as that nice pool, right? But it doesn't have the fishermen lobbing indicators and streamers at them either. And they kind of figured that out after being hooked a time or two. Right. And that water can be particularly shallow, but yeah, it does have a bit of a cushion effect at the bottom, right? Where it has enough um, structure. Usually you got a lot of rocks, you know, it's like a rock bed or a gravel bed mm. where you have, you know, you have that top layer of water moving and then that secondary layer underneath it isn't moving as fast. And as if they hug that structure, um, it's providing uh, a cover for them, you know, and that slower moving water. And it's also a good feeding lane because they have the food passing over their head or the stuff that transitions between that high speed water and that slow speed water will just drop right in their mouth, you know, or right in their zone, yeah. and they can just move their head. And we've seen videos of this, right, you know, where they, you, they, they, those fish will move side to side, or they'll pop their head up really quick and then reposition themselves back in that little safe spot they have. And those are great to work, you know, especially like on waters like, like the East Walker, where where you may, you may swing your rig across a section, and uh, you feel like take... You know, you're not hundred percent sure. You're like, oh, bam, you know, you get like this, this quick jerk and a stop and then a let go. Um, that kind of water affords you the opportunity to go back over it again a few times. You know, it's like a second and third chance water because things are moving so fast. Their decision making ability is in your favor versus like that slower water where they can take a little bit longer work on it, make a decision. This one, they just see that might be food and they hit it, right? It kind of looks like what I'm eating. I'll hit it. You know, so you get, and with that disturbance on that surface, um, it's providing the fish cover, but it's also providing cover for you, right? You know, so mm -hmm. it kind of it kind of works both ways. You can't see them; they probably can't see you. Um, so you, you you you'll find some pickups on your uh, on your presentations that you may feel like would be unlikely. You know, they might pick up a little bit closer to you than you think. Um, but that does come with its challenges too, because you get a sizable fish in that speed of water and you'll be surprised. I mean, I had it happen last week where I got into an absolute tank of a fish in less than 18 inches of water and, um, it took me for a ride and then it hunkered down in this little deep spot it, it found and I, I couldn't dislodge it, you know, with a 10 foot rod, no moving it. Yeah, and it's, you know, those Not at all. conditions, it's, it's almost like fishing winter water, you know, like you do have to pass over it quite a few times, you know, and yeah. the hard part for a lot of fishermen is there's nothing to read, you know, just a big slate of fast moving looking water, you know, but, but when yeah. you study it for a while and you, you know, you got to toss your, you know, it's like wintertime, you got to toss it through that one little piece of the grid two or three times before that fish 
finally picks it out of the bunch of other bugs floating down in that fast water and nails it sometimes you just got to slow down in those sections right you know right right absolutely and then let's talk about you know let's touch on this really quick with some of the bigger fish some of these bigger fish and let's let's zone in on browns a little bit because that's that's a favorite of mine i know it's a favorite of yours um when you get into these pressured waters you know unlike some of the smaller fish some of these bigger browns for the most part don't have the luxury of hiding in spots that as we are speaking now that would be ideal right well i mean there could be exceptions like that one i got into was in some pretty skinny water you know which you had no idea but browns typically like to hang out the same spot like they have a home that they'll rent for a little while right and whether it's the trucky or um the east walker or anything like that they'll find that snug little spot and generally um find them in that obvious hole like that literal obvious hole you're like man this is the only deep hole i've seen for half a mile there has to be something in there and he's probably in there so what would be your approach on going after that brown and we know our chances are, are pretty slim here because he's sitting in a pressured section that people have probably run a ton, ton of stuff through however with that being said that doesn't mean that that ton of stuff that they're running through actually got in front of his face or did he ever see it? So, and you know what I'm talking about, it's just that steep drop off up, you know what I'm talking about. So what would be your approach there? You're like, you know what? I think there's something in there. What are you doing to go after that fish? So what I kind of find is when people do fish those prime holes, nobody really thinks of that, that first lip drop off, you know, like they cast, you know, at the very top of the hole, and they think they're fine. Um, but there's a lot of fish, you know, right where that shallow ripple section enters that pool where it drops off maybe two, three feet, some rivers even four or five, right? Um, you know, they'll be nosed right up against it. You know, so what I do is I'll actually cast into that ripple section with a heavier, you know, base fly, like my searching patterns, you know, like a streamer of some kind or stone fly at the base and then a you know the smaller fly up top but i'll cast it where i know that thing's going to just be scraping bottom already you know but it enters the pool let's say at you know four inches of water maybe right um yeah. those fast ripples um but by the time that fly kind of rides down that's why i really enjoy jig hooks in this situation it just kind of alleviates those snags you know because you're scraping the uh riffle section but when that fly finally drops off that riffle that water is going to be pushing it down just like it's pushing down all the bugs and sometimes you get lucky and nobody's done that because they're all casting right on top of the fish you know that flies plopping on top of them or even behind them but your fly is going in that natural path off of those riffles and then immediately starting it sink right right off the right off the tip of the iceberg so to speak and right. that's what gets those big fish triggered sometimes um on top of that you know doing those risky casts you know that's a risky one right you could get stuck um most fishermen don't like to 
tie their stuff again, right? So, yeah, <laughs> you know, they avoid the bushes and, hey, the, there's a log on the other side of the run. You know, I'm going to get stuck if I even play over there. That's where, you know, practicing, getting confident in your casting where you can put it right in that exact spot, you know, without getting stuck, knowing where your fly is going to plop past your indicator. Um, or sometimes those big, big fish and some normal size fish they don't really move too far to get food either you know you can yeah. be three inches off from that spot they're willing to go out from under that log or bush but maybe everyone else fish five inches away you know they just right hit that that sweet spot that that fish is like i'm not leaving cover i'm not leaving this spot to eat unless it's right here right yeah right and, I, and that's here that i want to throw another little tip in too on some of these tighter rivers or even these bigger rivers where you're in uh when you're in brush lines right and let's say we're trying to target a hole like that or, or target a, a specific seam and that seam or that hole may be relatively close to some tight brush across the river a common mistake that i've seen and 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 you you know what i'm talking about uh, especially like something like the east walker um <laughs> is you'll have fly fishermen that will want to cast perpendicular, right? So they want to get like right across that river and get that drift in front of them, which, you know, seems ideal. I highly encourage you to switch your strategy to do your casting parallel with the river, meaning you're going to be casting side to side, right? So you don't have to change much so basically all you have to know about fly casting whether you're you know casting in that traditional like if you want to call it 10 to 2 or 11 to 1 just whatever rod you're fishing you know if we're doing the switches we're like an 11 to 1 smaller rods we might have a little bit bigger stroke but you just take that casting stroke and put it out in front of you right and then cast you know in the opposite direction cast it way up river and you'd be surprised where you can you can get that line situated and you could get it under brush, get it to drop in that hole and not not sacrifice uh, any rigs, right? Because um, we find plenty on the Truckee and other rivers, you find plenty of flies on the opposite side of the bank or even on your side of the bank, just embedded in trees and you're just like, holy smokes, you know, so... You know, it's not it's not perfect. I mean, there's chances, yeah, you might still get snagged, you know, because of the wind or you your cast was a little bit off and it does require you uh, to be on top of your game with line management uh, because, you know, if you are casting it up, you're going to have a lot of slack coming at you really quick. So you got to be quick at hand, um, you know, to retrieve in that slack line, you know, and remember to maintain your points of contact, you know. Um, so if you, if you do get to take... Fire alarm! <laughs> oh, That's awesome. <laughs> well, stand by. <laughs> All right. Well, we got the fire alarm situation taken care of. Wasn't anything detrimental to the safety and security of our of our co-host. So that's funny. <laughs> First we lose connection, then we get a fire alarm. Like, what's next? What's next? Comets. Meteor shower. Yeah, yeah, meteor shower. Asteroids. You know, I don't know. <laughs> Who knows? 
who knows? Surprise. <laughs> but but back to the casting. That's hilarious. Hey, it makes the podcast fun, right, bud? So Jeez. so <laughs> so that so the casting piece. Um, yeah, you just have to be on top. Of your- um, you know, cause you're going to have line coming at you. So you got to maintain your points of contact. And in case you do get a take, you're not going to have so much slack in the line, um, you know, that you'll miss the take, you know, or you'll pull up and, and not be able to set the hook or, or whatever, or you'll, you'll have enough slack in there to where you, you pull the rig completely out and behind you into the brush line. And then you're all, you're all tangled up. And that's, that's the best right there. That that's fun, you know? So yeah, so you just got to practice, you know, good casting skills and, and line management. So yeah, water load. I mean, that's the, uh, huh. <laughs> Saves energy. Yeah. The water load easy. is, it is, you don't, it keeps your, it keeps your, yeah. Because I mean, like what, like what we'll do is basically I'll cast up, you know, manage the line. And as it drifts by to keep it a good drift, you'll feed the line back out the line that you took up by hand, feed it out. And then exactly. You can water load it pick her up and just slingshot it back up and rinse and repeat so you know you don't it, it minimizes that line management to the pickup side right and as you feed it out as it goes by you you're you're letting um you're letting that 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 water load pull it uh from between your finger you know and the rod you know the core candle um and make sure you keep enough pressure on there if you do get a take because you'll get takes on that end of the, yeah, the end swing, of the stroke yeah. and so we're basically you get a take you can just pinch it off really quick um and then you know that that'll help set the hook or you have the ability to quickly do a um whatchamacallit a um you know like a, a faux strip set you know on it you know or an easy an easy lift to make sure that that so anyway there's there's a little piece of advice there um you got anything else for Reading pressured water on these rivers. Anything else you run into that that you think we missed? Um, you know, I mean, I just think of battleship. You know what I mean? Like uh-huh. seriously, just break it up like a grid. When you start finding fish in these types of waters, remember it. Bring it to the next run. You know. Right. Just right. Bring it exactly. Up. Narrow it down. They totally narrow it down. Um, so yeah, and you just kind of rinse and repeat. And like I said, w- one thing you got to look for is, you know, try to, try to give the water some time. You know, if it's a heavily pressured water, if somebody had left, left that water right before you got to it, I mean, kind of slims up your chances of getting to anything, but give it a, give it a couple, give it a couple shots, uh, because you don't know what their fishing technique was. If they're hitting the right depth, you know, they, they could just been sitting there hitting the same seam over and over and over again. You know, I mean, yeah, you and I have both gone. <laughs> yeah, 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 like, hit it, you're like, yeah, you're right. Like, right. Like the little trucky, like you and I both, I think on the same day at different times, we both hit the same sec, that same one pool. And, uh, you went in right after somebody was like drive flying and, didn't you rake a couple of fish out of that yeah, hole? Like, like two, a, right? Immediately right. after. Yeah. Like yeah. the heaviest fish run, you know, like right when you walk down. <laughs> right. Right. And the same thing here. Uh, it, you know, I, I walked in. There's a, you know, there's two guys on it, one on each side, and they're just sitting there just beating it up. And I'm like, man, there must be a bunch of fish in there or something. And, you know, I go down 
go down river for a spell and I come back, they're gone. And a couple drifts through there, boom, got a brown. You know, so he's got to give it some time. Um, but, you know, like, like a technique that we like to do on those pressured waters too is, you know, we've seen they've had a break for a little bit. We'll, uh, you know, we'll fish it, you know, and then, you know, proceed on a route and then we'll backtrack, you know, give it 20, 30 minutes and then hit it again. Uh, Cause sometimes condition change changes, um, you know, fish move and, uh, yeah, that's, that, that's it right there. Really. I mean, it's pretty straightforward on those on those rivers things but yeah, i want to go do something else <laughs> right and then i want to touch on i want to touch on um some still water just a little bit um but before i go into that i wanted to mention that we we did pick up a um a new sponsor and it's uh kind of a different approach for us normally we're getting you know folks in the in the fly fishing industry right and uh, this one's a little bit different. This is this is Myoderm, and it's a uh, it's a CBD product. And I'll just touch on it really quick, but it's pretty great. So first and foremost, it's you know it's for pain relief, right? So mm-hmm. you're out there and like you're, you know, maybe you're you have a tough day, like you're at Pyramid or something, and and you're casting streamers all day. Um, yeah, you're casting streamers all day. And you get like a short, you know, a sore shoulder or like a tennis elbow, or you want to call it a casting elbow, you know, or, you know, maybe you took a fall or you're standing weird and you got a weird feeling in your hip or whatever. This stuff is pretty cool. It's like a topical. And the way that it delivers itself, um, it's like, it's like a different delivery mechanism. It actually goes to the skin and it's an anti-inflammatory. It, it works really well and it's not like chock full of like menthol and all these other goodies that kind of trick the brain into thinking that there's something going on it actually penetrates and gets to the source and it, it's super helpful but with that being said uh it's it's lotion right and what's the biggest pet peeve of most fly fishermen or any fisherman for that matter when they put like sunscreen on or any type of lotion what does it do to your hands? You get all oily and greasy, and you yeah. can't tie knots. <laughs> yeah, you can't tie knots. <laughs> you can't pick up fish and stuff. This stuff soaks in really quick, so it doesn't compromise that. But here are some cool little facts, and I just I just had to throw this out there. It was like bug bites, mosquito bites. Since this is anti-inflammatory, you got those itchy bug bites on you. You rub this on, that brings that down like like tenfold. It's pretty awesome. Sunburn, same thing. You're like, man, forgot to put some sunscreen on my neck's burning, you know, or top of my hands are burning or whatever it is. That knocks that out, you know. And, you know, for the fellows that have and the ladies that have arthritis in their hands, again, you kind of go back to it. This is a perfect little, you know, solution for when you feel, get that on there. Then a few minutes, it should be feeling a little bit better. And then you're not, again, compromising, not dying your fishing or anything like that because it soaks right in so it's a pretty cool product um that's myoderm m-y-a-d-e-r-m um and if you're interested in that you can go to myoderm.com and we have a code for you uh, at checkout bearfish pretty simple and you get 20 percent off so there you go so it's worth checking out and we'll, we'll talk about it more but they got all kinds of difference they got regular power high power 
Um, that's not the exact terminology you'll see on the website, but you'll see what I'm talking about. It's cool stuff. Yeah, so you know what I'm talking about. I'm not getting too technical here, but it's great. We wouldn't promote that if, if we didn't legit product. You know, there's a ton of things out there CBD-wise, but this one's 100% legit. They put the work into it. So, um, And they're avid fly fishermen as an outdoorsman. So I think they put a little bit of that into it too. So check it out. I said, let's roll over into Stillwater and uh, let's talk a little bit about uh, like a pressured Stillwater. Like what the, a pressured Stillwater, what does that mean? Taylor, is that possible? (laughs) (laughs) No, that's not pressured. Oh, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) That's not pressured. (laughs) Oh, man. Yeah, pressured Stillwaters. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, that's a whole nother fun, uh, fun thing to try to read. Um, you want me to start on this one or you want to start? <laughs> this is all by itself, but I figured I thought we would, we would bring it up. Just, we'll touch on some basics. Cause I think we could revisit this as an entirely different podcast, but there's a, there's a lot of areas out here where we can transition from the river to a still water almost immediately. Um, like the little truck, is an example, right? East Walker is an example. We can go East Walker to Bridgeport Reservoir or you know we could run up to Twin Lakes or something like that right and these are all these are all heavily you know heavily fish waters so what what would be let's say you know we got some common stuff being used out there uh, what would be a first approach where you know let's say you know people say that there's chromids working there's leeches working scuds working but you know it's been beat, beat the heck up what do well, you do? Because you have nice success thing. on this. You had success on this the other day where you're, t- you're tearing up some water. <laughs> so the nice thing about still waters is, right, you got that depth. The fish are cruising. They're moving around, right? Rivers, they're typically holding a lot more. So if you have a lot of fishermen on a lake, it tells you there might be a lot of fish in that area. So it kind of helps. It's kind of the opposite of a river. You kind of want to be next to the people if you do have to fish a pressured still water. Without, of course, you know, being right at their hip. Um, so key number one right. is for sure a float tube, right? You get to kind of, you know, fish it from a different angle, fish the edge of the group, you know, or what have you. Um, you know, breaking down still waters, right? Um, at the end, you typically have a dam or an outlet. At the beginning, you typically have an inlet. Right, so those are two great places. Right. To start. This time of year, we still got good flows here in California and Nevada. You know, we still got snowmelt. Right. The inlets are kind of the place to be. Um, you know, the little Truckee, as an example, flowing into Boca. Um, I fished right. the little Truckee that day. Was pretty successful. Caught like eight fish. Um, left a little Truckee around noonish. Came down and saw a bunch of people fishing the out the the inlet of Boca, the outlet of the little Trekkie. And I was like, man, they must be doing pretty good down there. Um, But they're all fishing from shore. Um, So I'm kind of watching them, you know, I'm like, okay, like I don't see anybody catching anything, but I moved down, you know, probably a quarter mile from where they were, hopped in my float tube and just started fishing the water, um, reading it, um, found that the current didn't really end right at the end of the river 
Um, it was fighting right. the wind, which was blowing the opposite direction. Um, and I found right. a nice little spot where the, the current of the river and the current of the lake getting blown by the wind met and found a lot of nice fish right in that spot too, with nobody there fishing it. Right. Um, and then as it got later, I worked my way back up. People started leaving and I started seeing risers all over the place. And what I found is the people walking down there were spooking them and they wouldn't eat anything they were throwing. But me and my float tube, I came in from downstream because this is where the current's still coming in. And I was able to pick up about 20 fish in that little section where people, I watched people fish from the time I pulled up, you know, at 8 a.m. Until the time I came off the little trucky <laughs> coming back down, you know, wow. you know, just yeah. as an example, right? Yeah. Not every river is going to be right. like that, but you know, doing some different tactics than everyone else, but still realizing, Hey, there's a reason people are there, right? In a lake, there's probably fish there. Yeah. You know, so it helps yeah. narrow down where those fish are at. Right, right. And those those fish move around their active feeders, so they respond to the pressure a little bit different, but they, you know, if enough of them get stung or there's some strange activity in one area, those kind of move over to another area. So kind of similar things, you know, just play around with the sizing, like if you're doing some coronamids, if you're dunking coronamids, um, you know, once you find that depth uh, and you think, you think you know what's going on down there, it's a little bit different with still water. It's like you don't exactly see the hatch, and if you do... It's not always indicative of what's going down below, you know, so you just play around with that sizing. If you're starting with a 14 and nothing's happening and you're pretty confident in that pattern, you know, drop it to a 16 and make sure you're tagging, um, tagging your line and got some separation, you know, give yourself three to four feet of separation from your bottom fly to your tag fly, you know, and find that feeding lane. Most of the time that feeding lane is going to be on the bottom if you're hanging those midges off the bottom or wherever it is. I mean, it just depends, right? You know, especially especially on the outlets of rivers, you know, coming into still waters, you got you got some flexibility there because everything's kind of churned up, right? Um, yeah, and you can get stones, you know, and they're not a lake fish, you know, but there's enough current, stones are still floating down the river, even. Yeah, yeah, it gives you it gives you some variety to work with, you know. So, so yeah, that that's that's that that's just a quick tidbit on the still waters. Like I said, it's a whole a whole subject in itself, but just to kind of give you a little touch on that because you may find yourself in that situation where you're like man this river man this is sucking but i'm gonna go fish that you know fish that inlet which would be considered still water and uh you might be surprised this year especially with lakes like boca um you're gonna see a lot more fish probably hanging out in that section uh just because there's actually water in it this year uh boca surprisingly full and you know like prosser's doing okay and stampede's doing okay um so that kind of changes the dynamic that we've been fishing there for the past couple of years. Um, and the same with some other waters too, you know? So, um, now I got to back up before we depart. We got to talk food really quick and, uh, we, we, yeah, oh, this one's going to be a good one because I remember this was a belly buster. So on our, on our recon trip to East Walker on the way home, we picked up some, we picked up some chow over at growlers over at will's place so will will still an active fly fisherman was a guide out there around the east walker and whatnot for many years he knows the water very well and he opened up a barbecue joint um in bridgeport that's pretty top-notch you know mesquite grilled tri-tip 
chickens, ribs, et cetera, et cetera. What did we what did we end up walking out of there with? Well, each of us walked out with two massive meat smothered delicious <laughs> tacos covered in delicious hot sauce and Oh, that's right. There's tri chip tacos. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. It was just tri chip tacos. Yeah. Like it was funny because Will was like, Oh, guys want and we we're like we're we're kinda hungry. I mean reasonably hungry and you know the question goes and i'm like well how big are your tacos and he's like oh they're pretty big it was pretty big mean so i just threw two fingers up like in point break like utah make it two make it two so two tacos each and uh yeah they were big but they were tasty and i remember like we had to get on the road so we took it to go and like I'm working on mine, and I look over, and I was like, "I'm like, dude, are you gonna finish it?" And you're like, "Dude, I'm done." Like, yeah, I was dude, done in like two minutes. Yeah, like we weren't even like we we're just like going up the hill, up the 395, like out of Bridgeport, like headed up through Devil's Gate, and you were already like polished them, like they were. Oh man, yeah, they were delicious. Yeah, like no, no chance. So doesn't fit into the burrito category, but. There's no standing burrito facility in Bridgeport, so the tacos did suffice. And basically, anything that Will does out of Growlers suffices. I mean, like like for our guide trip that we had last week, we came in and had lunch there, and he made these uh, these pulled pork sandwiches. They they were Goliath, like they were just. It was just yeah, I can't even. It's just worth it. So if you, if you're down in that area fishing. Wherever it is, if you're on Twin Lakes and you pull up for lunch, drive into Bridgeport. If you're fishing the West Walker or any of the waters out there, East Walker, Bridgeport, Lake, man, do yourself a favor. Go get one. Get a taco. Get a rib plate. Get a pulled pork sandwich. Try tip plate. It's freaking killer. Killer. Well done, Will. But anyway, all right. Well, that wraps it up for our our fun little impromptu <laughs> reading the water podcast. Um, Taylor, thanks for taking the time to join us. That was fun. Thank you, Nico. It was, it's always a good time. It was spectacular. <laughs> 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 we're doing this late night, so we're running on fumes if you can't tell, but it's still always a good time to talk fishing and we like to get yeah. this information out. So, Anyway, so, yep, thanks again for listening. Uh, if you're interested in maybe any trips on the East Walker, we're running a few before it gets too hot. I might have a few slots open. Um, so you can reach out to us uh, at bearfishalliance.com. You can find us on Instagram at bearfishalliance. Um, or I think there's some type of mechanism that you can message us through the podcast. But if you're interested in that, let us know and we see if we can accommodate. But other than that, until next time, tight lines. Uno, dos, one, two, tres, cuatro.